This is WGRE 91.5 FM, Greencastle, Indiana. Good evening and welcome to Music for Life, music from DePaul. In this episode, choir director Christina Berger comes in to tell us about a divine choir concert with a string chamber music class about to give its semester in performance and a talk to a piano trio that's getting ready to knock our socks off. Picking up from last week, we present the conclusion of my conversation with green guest artist Maya Beiser, and we have a special visit with 1997 DePauw graduate, flutist and conductor Orlando Saylor, back on campus with a pair of performances and some stellar advice for our 21st century musicians. There are lots of exciting things going on in the DePauw School of Music, and we're glad you could join us for Music for Life. On Wednesday, April 15th at 7.30 p.m., our choirs take the stage again, and here to chat with me about it is our choir director, Christina Berger. Welcome. Thank you. Hey, before we start, I want to tell you how much I loved your last concert. That was fantastic. And I love when I can learn something about it, and I feel like I'm engaged rather than I'm just sung at. Thank you. You That was nicely done. You know, there's something else I appreciate about that in the educational setting, Mm -hmm. which is that if there is a mishap and a student deserves a chance to try something a second time, (laughs) it's a fine environment for that to happen. I mean, that happens even in professional situations Mm -hmm. every once in a while, but um, it's it's very forgiving of that kind of thing when everyone feels like, well, we're just here together to experience this music, and so let's hear what it really is. You know, it reminded me of the Shabertiad, you know, this idea that we're just all together and it's informal, we're here to love music and have a good time and enjoy this, and it's not so stilted and distant and, you know... Guess when to applaud. That's right. And we all put our pants on one leg at a time. Yeah, right. So it's really good for that to work out that way. So tell me what you've got up your sleeve for this one. All right. Well, I have musical settings of texts from poets who are identified as mystical poets Mm. or a subset of that, metaphysical poets. Yeah. And um, we're starting with the very first mystical poet composer in the Western tradition, which would be Hildegard of Bingen. Mm -hmm. So I have put together a set of five of the nine St. Ursula antiphons, and the sopranos and altos of chamber choir will be singing those in an unconducted circle with a corona of droning support from the tenors and basses. Oh, cool. Yeah, so they'll be singing in three different modes, all taking D as the final. Mm. Um, And, uh, you know, the words are actually pretty... Arcane. I mean, this is Hildegard's sort of theological gloss on the myth of St. Ursula and the Thousand Virgins. And if, if people don't show up after I've said that, what will it take <laughs> to get you in there? But, um, you know, this is one case in which the words, I would say, are not actually that important um, mm. because they're stretched out over long melismas, and we can't understand what she meant anyway. It's her right. own very private theology aimed at the church fathers she worked with, giving moral lessons. Who cares? But what's mystical about it when you hear it is the sheer sensual stimulation of the voices Mm -hmm. moving on these amazing undulating melodies and the kind of attentiveness and skill of coordination and sensitivity that it takes to do it as beautifully as these students are doing it. That will be the mystical experience in itself. Right. I've always thought that Hildegard was ripe for a play. Someone needs to take her at, you know. It's been done. What? Oh, it has. Yes. It has. Yes, it has. Oh, and I've missed it. Well, I'm going to have to look that up because, you know, She's such an interesting character that we know so little about, and there's a slate there that could be written upon in all kinds of ways. Oh, sure. Absolutely. She's wide open for everybody's playful interpretation. interpretation. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So who's next? 
So, you know, I guess I have to determine the concert order before midnight tonight. That's my <laughs> deadline. But somewhere in there, we have a um, liturgical motet onwards from John of the Cross, uh, who was sort mm-hmm. of one of the very first monks to be identified as a mystical poet. And he wrote the Latin text Crux Fidelis, which is a Good Friday favorite. Mm-hmm. It ponders the wood of the cross and the flowering of the body that's on the cross and the nails and the sweetness hanging on the cross. And what is meant here by mystical poetry is a contemplative who writes about the experience of the divine as though it's a full-on sensory right here experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, the music is by John of Portugal, and it's, it's, it's very, very beautiful, very simple. And then we also have a lauda from one of the disciples of Savonarola. Oh, really? Yes. I learned this last year at the Madison Early Music Festival, and it's become one of the sweetest favorites in my list. It's called Dolce Dio. It's three voice parts, you know, made for musical contemplation, available to sort of lay confraternities who can sing together. You don't have to be a virtuoso to sing this, but... It just talks about the sweetness of the divine and, and says, Sweet God, the supreme comfort, he doesn't condemn. Mm-hmm. He gives you all the goodness that humanity desires. Ah. Oh, it's just so... Wow. That's it. And to hear it feels like a blessing that will heal anything oh, that you're... Wonderful. Oh, it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that the chamber singers will be doing is a setting of a text by Rumi, that ah, Sufi poet. Oh, everybody's yeah. uh, from the 13th century. And his text says, um, let the beauty you love... Be what you do. So if that's not our credo, right? And then... And do you know that whole poem? I mean, that's the musician's poem. That's the musician's poem. Because the best line in that is the opening line where he says, today, like every day, we wake up empty and alone. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Okay, you got me now. What happens next? Don't just go into the library and And pick up your reading assignment. Make some music. Yeah, take down a musical instrument. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So uh, we'll we'll be doing that. And um, then the lovely segue from that material into the material that will be presented by the university chorus is that they will come out with a roomy setting as well, a poem called This Marriage, set by Eric Whitaker. Ah, is that the new Eric Whitaker piece? It's not that no, new. No, no that's I think it might be late 1990s. I just saw that one of his new pieces is taking the world by storm, and I th- couldn't remember what the title of it was. It sounded vaguely familiar. Yeah. Eric Whitaker is an interesting guy. So, you know, his first piece was actually written for Wind Band and was called something like... Was that Cloudburst? Godzilla oh, Eats Godzilla. Las Vegas. Oh, yes, I, I did know. You know he, we go from that <laughs> to this piece. That's pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah, um, that's going to be just gorgeous too. And then after that, we're going to present Vaughn Williams's five mystical songs uh, mm-hmm. with baritone soloist Yazid Pierce Gray and uh, collaborative pianist Amanda Hobson from our faculty. That's great. And uh, these are um, settings of poems by George Herbert, who mm-hmm. uh, of course was beloved of Purcell. Purcell mm-hmm. wrote some absolutely lacerating settings of George mm-hmm. Herbert's poetry. But you know what musicians love so much about this set, besides its sheer gorgeous musical value, are the lines in the poetry that. Imagine the divine in metaphors of music making, like the mm-hmm. wood in a stringed instrument. So music is referenced as a way to know the divine. Bodily love is referenced as a way to know the divine. Art making, and that's what uh, literary critics have identified as mystical poetry. Mm-hmm. The, the mm-hmm. contemplation of the divine that, that brings the divine into a full sensory, palpable, right here, present now experience. It's going to be a fantastic program. I can't Thank wait. You. Wednesday night, April 15th at 7.30 in Kresge Auditorium. Yes. Thanks for coming to chat about Thank you, Mark. This is Hannah Gothier with the events calendar for the week of April 13th. On Wednesday the 15th at 6 p.m., Alec Barker, first-year violinist, will be performing at Almost Home. 
At 7.30 that Wednesday, the DePaul Choirs will be giving a concert in the Rotunda of the Great Hall, featuring a Vaughn Williams song cycle with soloist Yazid Pierce Gray. Also at 7.30 on Wednesday, feminist speaker Lacey Green of YouTube fame will be giving a lecture at 7.30 at Meharry Hall as part of Code Teal Week. On Thursday the 16th, the DePauw Theater opens Antigone at 7.30, and that will run all weekend at 7.30 with a matinee on Sunday at 1. Also at 7.30 on that Thursday, there will be the Improv Chamber Music Concert. Friday the 17th at 7.30, the String and Mix Chamber Music Spring Recital will be happening. Saturday the 18th, is the sophomore proficiency exam, so make sure you give a lot of love and support to all your sophomore friends going through that. On Sunday the 19th, there will be a non-degree junior recital featuring Rebecca Byers on horn and Crystal Lau, mezzo-soprano. And at 7.30 on Sunday, there will be a senior degree recital given by Jenny Miller playing violin. That's it for the week of April 13th, Thank you very much and have a great week. From a concert of March 15th, 2015, Christina Berger leads first the DePaul University Chorus in a performance of Cesar Alejandro Carrillo's Ave Maria, and then the DePaul Chamber Singers with soloist Sarah Blanton in a performance of Stephen Chapman's Prairie Lullaby and Chickadee.
We were thrilled in today's recital hour to welcome back 1997 graduate Orlando Sela, who has come back to visit and to chat and to be into classes, but really excitingly to perform on our recital hour and on an evening recital here in Thompson. And I'm thrilled he's also taken a moment to join us in the studio. Welcome home. Thank you very much. It's so nice to be back. Well, it's really great to have you here. And what a great performance today. Bravo on that. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to your performance tonight. Right. Tonight's going to be a little bit different from this afternoon. So I hope everybody can make it and, you know, see what this is all about. Right. So tell me first how you got to DePaul and then where you went afterwards. Because here at DePaul, we've launched this 21st Century Musician Initiative. And you certainly live the life of the 21st Century Musician. So we want to know a bit about that. How did you get to DePaul? Absolutely. So I grew up in Caracas, Venezuela, and I was very fortunate. I went to a school that had a very strong music program. Uh, long story short, I attended three summer camps at Interlochen Arts Academy. Mm -hmm. And there I attended, during my last summer, I went to a college fair. And I picked up a lot of information from many colleges. Mm -hmm. And DePaul was uh, one of those universities. Mm -hmm. I applied to it. Um, I was blessed with a, a certain amount of scholarship. Mm -hmm. And after weighing my options, I decided that it would be a very good place to start my life in the U.S. That would have been my first time in the U.S. Mm -hmm. I particularly was so happy to see a small school mm -hmm. that would allow me the opportunity to focus. I thought Anne Reynolds looked pretty impressive, you mm -hmm. know, having been so young, the first flute of the Indianapolis Symphony. So really, with, with the scholarship and, and how it looked on paper, the size of the college, I thought it was perfect for an international student like me. Mm -hmm. And then you spent four years here doing great things and became very well loved by the faculty. They're all thrilled that you're back here now. And then after you left DePauw, you were off to Boston for a while, right? Right after. Um, in fact, I was traveling a lot to Cincinnati, San Francisco, and other places, New York and Boston, auditioning for my master's degree. And I finally ended up at the New England Conservatory of Music. I did two years there on flute performance, mm -hmm. but because I took all my electives in conducting, I came to an agreement with the choral conducting teacher and the wind ensemble conducting teacher, and both of them agreed that I would do double studio and graduate mm. within one year with wow. another master's in conducting. Yeah. And then reality settled in, you know, <laughs> one grows up in Venezuela, you are 15 years old, 16, you get accepted to a university in the U.S. once you are 18 and everything is it's very isolated. You think, OK, here I am in the path to be a soloist, a flute soloist, just like Jean-Pierre Rampau. <laughs> and then when I graduated from New England Conservatory, boy, was I surprised. I mean, mm -hmm. things are not what they used to be, mm -hmm. definitely. Just right now. Anybody can be famous. Anybody can have a, a radio station online. Anybody mm -hmm. can have a TV station on YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. So um, one really has to create a lot of your own opportunities. You cannot just wait for them to happen. Um, auditions are just one of many options. Right. I really believe that nowadays you have to be ready to wear many hats. Mm -hmm. You have to be ready to become many things in order to achieve exactly what you desire. Mm -hmm. I am pretty happy for what I'm doing right now. I don't know if you remember, there used to be all of those questions. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? <laughs> and I went back to the question and I, you know, I, I see myself as like, okay, maybe 10 years ago, I 
I wasn't exactly planning on being uh, traveling around and playing very contemporary music to composers, but you know, I'm still doing music. So mm -hmm. I, I still think I am within that goal that I set for myself. Mm -hmm. And you're in the middle of a tour right now. You've stopped here and you've been some other interesting places as well on this trip. That's right. So in this trip, I'm coming first to the Poe University. I was here yesterday and I'm here today. And uh, tomorrow I have a couple of engagements at University of Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. um, and then over the weekend, I go over to Tulane University in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And I have uh, a few concerts at the university and then in New Orleans proper at an art gallery. And then after that, I'm going to Louisiana State University to have some things there. And then I'm going back to Boston. Back mm -hmm. And Boston is home now. I reside in Boston. Uh, since, um, well, since 17 years with a small gap in which I spent uh, in China. I, I, I was happy to have the chance to teach in China for one academic year at Ningbo University. And after that, I went to Randolph College where I taught there for a semester. I mm -hmm. was uh, a substitute while their choral and orchestral conductor was taking a sabbatical. And it's interesting because one of the comments that have come up many times in our Music for Life interviews and also in our 21st Century Musician exploration is that the days of the single performing career are over and the days of the single performance expert are almost done as well because now we build these portfolio careers and you're known to some folks as a conductor. They know you mostly as a conductor. Others know you as a flute player. They'd be surprised that you're both and that you're a host of other things as well as you put together the career that keeps you involved in the musical world and bringing to life the music that means so much to you. Right. Again, as I said before, one has to do a plethora of things right now. For example, for tonight's recital, I'm playing flute, an alto flute, and piccolo, which are all Western flutes. But I'm also going to play a, a work which is with Chinese flute mm -hmm. that I had picked up before my travel into China. I, I told myself that. And I had... I've been able to play two or three works written for me using this instrument. Mm -hmm. This one in particular will be with electronics. So nobody knows that I play Chinese flute unless they <laughs> ask me. Right. Also, nobody knows that I am um, a very avid traverso flute player. Mm -hmm. And I picked up this Baroque flute in order to do research, to get more insight into what it is to play Baroque music. Mm -hmm. But again, now there is the ability, the technology. Before you couldn't do that. Before you had to be just the flutist, mm -hmm. right? And you concentrate on that. Right now, you know, you know, you're a flutist and you so happen to play also another flute and you also happen to teach, but you also happen to conduct. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, mm -hmm. I found myself making arrangements for my flute ensemble, which mm -hmm. I conducted and sometimes played with. And at the same time, I found myself writing the liner notes, which mm -hmm. then, you know, allowed me to do some translation in the site, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So mm -hmm. one always has to do a lot of things to make things happen. And that's, that's kind of coming what's old is new again, because that's how Bach made his living. You know, we've kind of gotten out or we've lost our way for a while, but now we're back to the way it was. And this is kind of what Bach did. You know, he found his way to keep his life in music and to be connected to the music that meant so much to him. Now, in his case, he was a composer. In your case, you've had a lot of pieces written for you. Right. And I like this part of it because before being um, a musician, a composer was a, a very, you know, it, it had this isolation to it. You know, mm -hmm. the only means of communication back then for sending music back and forth where, you know, um, I'll give you a phone call 
and I will give you my address so you can mail this to me <laughs> and that way we'll get it. Right now, everything is so easy. You send a PDF of the work to me, I review it, I give you comments, you engrave it again, you do that within hours. Mm -hmm. right. You have reviewed that piece two or three or four times and they become almost tailored to you, to mm -hmm. the abilities that you have, to the techniques that you have. Technology has become very, very good communication-wise. So when these people write pieces for me, it's very, it, it's, it's very exciting because really I am so part of the process. Something mm -hmm. that couldn't be done before. So again, embrace the technology and use it to, to expand the musical horizon. It's, it's, that's the way to do it, I believe. Right, and you're known quite well as a person with many advanced techniques, and today you demonstrated one I'd never seen before. We're looking forward to your performance tonight on doing even more of that. And we're so glad that you're back on campus, and we appreciate the time you've given our students and our faculty and to the radio show. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me back. It's so nice to be back. Huh? Glad you're here. from the Faculty Select Series concert of April 8, 2015. School of Music alumnus flutist Orlando Sella performs Eric Chazelow's Over the Edge.
I'm Caroline Shaw, and you're listening to Music for Life. This is student producer Anna Gaptula. On April 17th at 7.30 p.m. in Thompson Recital Hall, the Mixed String Chamber Ensembles will have their end-of-the-spring-semester recital. With me, I have three students from that class. Peter Kim. Hello. Mei Fujisato. Hi. And Shiyusu. Hi. Tell me about your ensemble, guys. We will be playing Schubert Piano Trio Number 2, Opus 100. How long have you guys been together? This is our first semester together as a group. And oh, great. we've talked about being together as a group since okay. May came in as a yep. freshman. Cool. What are you excited about for this concert? Well, the piece we're playing is really challenging. It's really, really long. It's <laughs> like 45 minutes in total. Wow. We're doing the second and third movement at the concert. And it's so beautiful. Really Schubert, <laughs> German sounding dance music. Shiyu, what's your favorite part about the Schubert trio? I like the third movement. There's uh, feelings of like words in mm-hmm. German and have some like kind of feelings of John Strauss hmm. and it's into the uh, Schubert's music. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of bouncy and mm-hmm. good. Yeah, sound really amazing. Good. Do you guys know what the other ensembles are playing? I know the string quartet, they're playing the Debussy string quartet, mm-hmm. and there's the Trout Quintet, mm-hmm. and I think Dan Hickey and their group mm-hmm. will probably be performing as well. Great. What has been your favorite part about being in this ensemble? Well, I really enjoy working with those two people. They're <laughs> really fun. We make jokes, we make <laughs> really weird sounds at the beginning of the rehearsal. Yeah, we change scale to practice. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. usually during the rehearsals, um, <laughs> even though we run the piece, you know, in mm-hmm. itself and we practice the little parts, there's lots of times where PK2 starts transposing the piece into a different key. Oh, and we, and then all we all play it in a different keys. Well, it's, I don't know, it's like really professional kind of Musical yeah. joke, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Relaxed section. <laughs> yeah. Well, I look forward to the performance. And once again, it will be on Friday, April 17th at 7.30 p.m. in Thompson Recital Hall. Thanks for coming in, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. From their concert of March 16th, 2015, the DePaul Faculty Woodwind Ensemble, flutist Ann Reynolds, oboist Leonid Sorotkin, clarinetist Randy Salmon, Bassoonist Kara Stoli, horn player Robert Danforth, with student guest Dan Hickey, bass clarinet, perform the third and fourth movements from Leos Janacek's Mladi. Thank you. 
And now the conclusion of Dean Mark McCoy's interview with Green Gust artist Maya Beiser. So the question here from one of our students at DePauw is, what advice do you give to younger musicians? Do they go right to grad school? How do they find their path? What would you say to them? Well, first of all, I do think graduate school is a wonderful place. It's a very individual thing, whether you want to take a little time. But I think that, as we said before, collaboration community is an essential thing. And my whole kind of path probably would have taken a very different route had I not been in graduate school at Yale mm-hmm. and met Julia Wolf and Michael Gordon and David Lang and started Bang When I Can, which was kind of a revolutionary thing in New York. But other, many other people that I met in graduate school that were influential and essential for the kind of artist that I am today. So. I believe in community, whether that is graduate school or whether you move into a city and start exploring community of musicians, which is also a possibility. Mm -hmm. New York now is a remarkable place. Brooklyn, I mean, it's exploding from different kinds of musicians. You know, you have groups like ICE Mm -hmm. in New York, which is revolutionizing contemporary music and others, many, many others, actually. And Chicago, actually, is a wonderful Mm -hmm. place now. There's a lot going on there. Los Angeles, you know, so there are some cities that have this really kind of renaissance, I think, of contemporary music. And so that's another option. If you don't want to go directly to graduate school, go find a community of artists who you're interested in and start making music together. Again, Um, it's collaboration. It's collaborations, and it's finding like-minded people. And whether you want to be a soloist or not, it doesn't really matter, because as I said before, even as a soloist, you need a community. You need to have people who are surrounding you, who are inspiring you. Another thing is to find an artist you're really interested in and send them an email and see, hey, can I come be your assistant for a little bit? Mm -hmm. That's a good way to also reach out. I know a lot of people, in fact, one of the composers that you're going to hear tonight, Michael Harrison, who I consider, you know, a really remarkable composer that not too many people know, but he wrote the last piece on the program called Just Ancient Loops, which is really a masterpiece, I think. He has... He comes from this whole Buddhism tradition of mm-hmm. and where you go and study. He studied uh, ragas. And in India, you know, the way that you become a great artist is you, you become a devotee of some great musician and you go to their house and you literally live with them and study with them and cook them dinners mm-hmm. until you learn the craft. And he started, uh, he did that with Terry Riley. So he just wrote to him and and just went and and became his uh, and then Lamont Young and other people where he became their assistants and through that he learned so it's just another way you know um, be fearless Absolutely. <laughs> and don't be afraid to reach out because you never know what's you know what that's gonna bring that's great Last week, as part of the 21st Century Musician Initiative here at DePaul, we had Jason Robert Brown here, who's a Broadway composer, and uh, he was asked the same question by some actors, should I go directly to grad school? And interestingly, Jason said, maybe, maybe not, because in the acting world, sometimes you just throw yourself in the deep end of the pool and you see what happens. And in the music world, graduate school is very much about taking that next step. You know, as great as you were as an undergraduate, it was your graduate study that really opened up a lot of doors for you. And interestingly, I remember reading a study, my acting friends will kill me for this, but there's actually scientific proof of this. They'll show you where, what has graduate school done for you as a musician and the number of professional 
professional musicians who went to graduate school. It's very, very high. Yeah. And then it's what number of actors went to graduate school, and the number is very, very low. So it's actually going to grad school as an actor can sometimes hurt your career. This is not that case with musicians. Where no, not uh, at all. That not way at of all. looking to forward. the contrary, I think. So the question here is to uh, tell us a bit about your artistic life and your musical life in New York City. Well, you know, for me, there couldn't be a better place. I mean, New York City is, there are two wonderful things about it. First of all, everybody comes by there, whether they live there or not. So at any given day, your choices of what you can see and hear is just staggering. Mm -hmm. um, so I try to go to as many, not by the way, just music. I'm very interested in art in all its forms. And so a lot of the things that I do is I, you know, I have a lot of friends who are artists, visual artists in New York, filmmakers, writers. And again, it's, it's a community of people that are intellectually curious, artistically trying to, to create new forms in whatever genre that they're in. And it's just wonderful because it's so diverse. What I love about New York is that you can create your own little community pretty much in any, in any genre that you mm -hmm, choose, mm -hmm. you know, and in the most obscure little things. I mean, so Bangunikan is a good example of that. Um, you know, Bangunikan really started by three composers, Yale graduate composers, and then it became this collective of composers and performers out of which the Bangunikan All-Stars, the group that mm -hmm. I was the founding member, emerged. But it started in this tiny little gallery in downtown New York called Exit Art in the late 80s. And the idea behind it was there was this really crazy dichotomy that still exists, but not to that same, to, to you know, in the same amount uh, at all between the, what we call uptown music and downtown music. So in New York, we have this, you know, the uptown music is the academic, you know, Juilliard music, uh, the Milton Babbitts and mm -hmm. Elliot Carters. And then the downtown is John Zorn and the like. And they never mingled. <laughs> never. <laughs> so Bang on a Can started with this idea of like, why don't we just create this all-night concert where we play both Milton Babbitt and John Cage and Steve Reich and Philip Glass and Elliot Carter. All, they all came, you know, and, um, and we'll serve beer so everybody will be a little bit um, <laughs> intoxicated and we'll make people feel good and they'll just experience all this music and maybe they'll start talking to each other. And it was just such a great thing and it became this iconic marathon that happened every year since and out of it grew this whole organization which is now you know um, really taking over the world in many ways and a lot of different um, different things but but it, but you know that's the kind of thing that couldn't have happened I yeah, think anywhere else another thing that happens now in New York I mentioned ice ice is a group of young kids straight out of graduate school, led by uh, this wonderful flutist, Claire Chase, who, you know, came into New York. They all live in Brooklyn. They don't make a lot of money, but, you know, you could still live far enough in Brooklyn where you don't have to pay a lot of rent. And um, <laughs> that's not for a very long time, so we might have to expand some other place because Brooklyn now is becoming very expensive. Mm -hmm. But there's still places where artists can still live relatively cheap and they have a warehouse there and they started to play and they play really hardcore contemporary mm -hmm. music i mean bulas and mm -hmm. you know stockhausen i mean they play a huge gamut of thing 
But, you know, they started to perform, and Lincoln Center really liked them and said, why don't we bring you to Lincoln Center? And they started to perform at Lincoln Center, and every concert that they do there is sold out. Huge amount of people come in, and now they're kind of, you know, they've become this huge success. And But there are a lot of stories like that, and that's what New York is like, you know. It's just, it still is this huge ground for the fertilization, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, on every level. And the one thing I lament is that New York is becoming so expensive mm-hmm. that less and less artists are, are really able to afford it. So nobody really lives in Manhattan anymore. <laughs> I do, but, you know, I, I'm lucky because I've been there for a while. But young people who come into the city have to find other places. But we're expanding. Yeah, this has been the beginning of a really wonderful weekend. And we started talking to Maya and her folks last year about coming here. And as we got closer and closer to it, more and more stuff started happening. So, and of course, with this tour, there's tractor trailers involved. And there's a lot of setting up and time on uh, on sound checks and all of that kind of thing. And yet, I have to tell you all here in the live audience that uh, for every time we've called and said, Maya, could you also do a radio show interview? Sure. Uh, okay, would you be willing to help some of our young child? Absolutely. Would you? Be, and, and she has been so kind and giving of her time throughout this entire process. And to have someone of her stature be so willing to reach out to us and, and help in, in all the ways we've asked has been a truly remarkable and a great blessing for us. So we want to honor that time. And I know she's running off to a sound check now, but thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> From their concert of March 8th, 2015, the DePaul University Band, under the direction of Craig Paré, perform Rave Vaughn Williams' Toccata Marziale.
We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Music for Life. We love hearing from listeners. You can contact us by emailing musicforlife at depaw.edu. We're also on Facebook at DePaul Music for Life, and you can subscribe to our show on iTunes by searching there for DePaul Music for Life. Our student producers are Anna Gatdula, Matt Skiva, Burke Stanton, Rachel Amalfitano, Hannah Gauthier, and Caleb Denning. Our 21CM graduate intern is Elika Okerstrom. Veronica Pedrel is our online editor, and our show is produced by Matthew Champagne in the Judson and Joyce Green Center for the Performing Arts at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. I'm Mark McCoy, Dean of the School of Music. Thank you for listening to our show. Keep music in your life and have a great week. It's music for life.